Welcome to The Gradebook, a Tampa Bay Times podcast on Florida education issues. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek, and it is April 17th. Today, instead of talking about legislative issues, we are going to talk about something that is not political, reading. My colleague Marlene Sokol, who covers Hillsborough County Schools, has spent quite a long time looking at reading scores in Hillsborough County, and she has been also talking with students and teachers and experts about the issues relating to why some kids just struggle so much to read. And so today, she's going to talk to us about her project, which came out online today and comes out Sunday on the paper, print paper. And um, we're just going to jump right into a conversation with Marlene. So Marlene, you have come back to us. Thank you for being back on the podcast. And now you have this big project you've been working on, so you have some time to tell us what it is and what you've been doing for the past few months, I guess? Uh, Yeah, I've been looking at reading, and it seems like the most basic thing in the world. You ask yourself, why do I send my child to school? And the first thing that comes to mind is to learn how to read. And when I looked at some of the reading test results, and I've been looking at them for several years in Hillsborough County, and they're very low, and it it was just bothering me. And so I thought I would look at reading, what's going wrong with reading? Um, You know, how does Hillsborough measure up to the rest of the state? And and does anybody even care? Because reading does not get a whole lot of media attention. We're so concerned with security and air conditioning. And, you know, there's always something grabbing our attention. And I think sometimes we forget that kids need to learn how to read. And I'm not sure that enough of them are getting that, that education. So when you say looking at reading results, are you talking about a specific set of tests or a specific something else? Well, I mean, the the only real universal way that we have to measure it as, as imperfect and as flawed as it is, um, is the FSA. And, and so that's, that's what the state looks at. And that's what the schools really react to. And of course, there's a lot of skepticism about the FSA results, about whether the test is any good, about, you know, whether it's maybe the, the, the bar is too high or, or maybe these are poorly constructed tests. But, but those tests, which measure state standards, show that roughly half the kids in Florida are not on grade level. Um, many of them are at level one, which is what we focused on, the lowest level. Um, and again, regardless of, of whether you trust the test or not, schools and school districts respond to those results and the state responds to those results. So you end up in this cycle of test prep and remedial reading classes and concordant scores and all types of pressure to get passing scores on those reading tests. And not only that, I mean, everybody takes them. So even if you're not convinced that the test is great. Everybody's performing the same good or bad on the same test throughout the state of Florida. And in Hillsborough County, they have a larger number of schools that are not doing well that proportionally than any other district in the state over several years. Is that not right? 
Yes, we have led the state in the number of low reading schools for the last three years, which is as long as I've been tracking it. We are way ahead of the state in uh, persistently poor performing schools. And you like to look at different numbers. I, I always look at level one because a, a lot of people say level two, maybe they're just not a good test taker. I think level one, most people agree that, that, that there's a problem. And so in terms of percentage of students who are at level one, Hillsborough does not lead the state, but they are worse than the state average and, you know, a couple of points worse. And that's been the case for as long as I've been tracking it. And some of the schools in Hillsborough County are more than half level one. So then you, then you end up in a school where more than half the students are doing really poorly on, on the one test that, that the state uses consistently. Now, I know that you just use those numbers as a starting point because otherwise you just have numbers. So when you talk to students and teachers, you must have come up with a lot of interesting anecdotal information to back up the numbers. Yeah, a lot of theories. And what I was most interested in were students and how they feel about reading. So towards the beginning, I surveyed students, I interviewed students. Um, some of the teachers and principals were very helpful. They literally pulled students out of class to sit with me and talk about their experiences in reading. And so it was about 71 students altogether, including some surveys I did during Great American Teaching Visits, um, kind of a cheap method, but it worked. Um, and the general trend when, when I talked to students and asked them about reading, their earliest member, memories of reading were very positive. They felt very good about themselves when they could read their name, when they could write their name, when they read The Hungry Caterpillar, and it was, a, it was great fun. And then when they get to about third or fourth grade, some of them begin to struggle, and those are the test-taking years. They really dislike the tests, and then for a lot of kids, it goes downhill from there. And, and two things happen. First, they get very discouraged because the tests are so d difficult and the results are not good. And then they grow to dislike reading. And, and it's not just the test that causes them to grow to dislike reading. There's a million other things, technology, you know, electronic games, you know, there's so many other ways that, that kids entertain themselves besides reading. But the unfortunate reality is you become a better reader by reading. So if, if you are not reading voluntarily, and I think that's the big difference, a, a student who is not reading voluntarily because it's fun, because books are great, because, wow, I have this great book that, that I can't wait to, you know, open up. If they're not reading voluntarily, then they're not as likely to, to become a strong reader. And so, so it's a downward spiral, and then they're struggling in middle school and high school. The, the high school kids and the ones who I met with, um, they were in these tests, you know, they were in these classes to try and pass the 10th grade FSA, which is a graduation requirement. So, so at that point, they are in reading class so that they can pass a test so that they will not be in reading anymore. And, and I had numerous kids say it quite exactly that way. I need to pass the test so I don't have to be in reading again. That is so interesting just, that you bring that up because I know over several years when I've gone to visit schools, and not just high school, middle schools too, where you talk to the kids who are forced into a second period of remedial reading courses. They don't get to take any sort of elective course. And so it becomes a punishment to learn how to read better. 
and and they wind up hating school too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, reading begins to feel like a punishment. I not to sound pretentious, but I love this one quote from Ray Bradbury, who wrote uh, Fahrenheit four five one, which is a book that the kids read in high school, and I read in high school. I think it's obvious teachers assigned that book because it's a love letter about books. But he said, you don't have to burn books to destroy a society. You just get people to stop reading them. And I, I really feel like the whole testing culture, and, and people have written books about this. It's not a new problem. Um, one of my favorite books on this is called Read Aside, and it's a decade old. It was written in 2009 in California and by an English teacher. And what he found among students was exactly the same thing as what I found in speaking to students. So the, the testing culture, the emphasis on tests, the, the, the fact that reading becomes something that you have to get good at to pass a test, that just seems at least obviously to, to just take away from, from children's enjoyment of reading. And so that reading is not something that, that you do voluntarily. It's, it's a means to an end. So then is there something that you found when talking to the teachers about what might possibly be a solution or are we just in a vicious cycle? Um, I think, you know, a lot of people are optimistic at, at steps that the state government is taking to maybe get out of Common Core or to, you know, whatever is going to replace Florida standards. Maybe, maybe, I don't know that that's going to have much of an impact on the testing culture, but, but there is a lot of concern about, you know, whether the standards are even appropriate. Um, some very positive developments in Hillsborough County. They, they had a work group. I mean, they call it literacy and I call it reading. You know, we always disagree on that. But they had a very large work group that spent almost a year meeting and looking for solutions. And they realized that they really need to bring in some outside expertise. So Hillsborough County is probably going to do an audit. Um, this is something the school board has not yet approved, but I'm sure they will to try and get to the bottom of what's going on in reading. Some little things that I think are helping. You have schools, um, one school that I visited a couple of times the last month, Strawberry Crest High School. They have high school kids who go next door and they do one-on-one -on -one tutoring with the students at Bailey Elementary School who are struggling with their reading. And, and that's a very sweet program. And, you know, one-on-one -on -one to younger kids really helps. Does that? Uh, can I ask I, you a question on that? Does that also, sure. do they use the high school kids who are struggling to read as well so that way they benefit from it too? Or do they use the high-performing kids? Um, these are IB students, so these are high-performing kids, but it's it's a service club. It's called Trendsetters. It's um, backed by the Barbara Bush Foundation for Family Literacy. So, no, these, are, these high school kids are not, and you raise a good point, um, how much is it doing for the older kids who are struggling? But th these are little pieces of the puzzle. I know that Hillsborough is also trying to do something about early childhood ed, preschools, both inside the schools and outside the schools, get, getting preschools to up their game so that more children are kindergarten ready, because if they're ready when they come into kindergarten, their, their chances are better. I think a big gap in Hillsborough, which the superintendent is now beginning to recognize, is that the grades K1 and 2, 
I won't say they've been neglected, but there has been so much emphasis on grades three and above because those are the test-taking years that in some cases kindergarten, first, and second grade really did not get everything they needed. Um, and, and I strongly suspect that, that, that that's a big part of the problem. If a child gets to third grade and cannot read what you put in front of him, either as classwork or for the test, then to me, logically, he didn't get what he needed in K-1 and 2. And at that point, you have to look at class size. You have to look at, do you have teachers for all the kids and not just a substitute teacher? And you also have to look at the methodology. And one of the things I learned when I did a little bit of reading is that for more than 100 years, there's been great disagreement over what's the best way to teach reading in the early years. Should it be phonics? Should it be sight words? Should it be whole language? And I don't think the experts are ever going to agree on that. But K-1 and 2 needs to be addressed as, as well as kindergarten readiness so that when the children get to grade 3, they have the basic competency where they're not going to crash and burn when you put a test in front of them. I have to say that this just seems logical, and I don't understand. And, and after having written about schools like you for a long time, don't understand why it is that nobody can come up with something that works. I've seen schools where kids know how to read, and, and they have no problems. And does anybody even look at those and say, like, here's an example of something that's positive and can work? That's a good question, and I, I, I have seen schools that improved. Memorial Middle School, which I wrote about in the story, they have improved, but they came from such a low level that they're still not anywhere near where they need to be. Now, one of the clever things that Memorial did when the new principal took over was she said, everybody's going to take reading, everybody. So, so, so there's no stigma. You know, so you don't feel like reading is a punishment and I'm not going to get to take PE and I'm not going to get to take music, um, which is a simple thing. And, and she's doing a, a lot of other things, too. I, you know, the schools that I've seen where things are going really well, it, it corresponds a lot to income. And um, when, when you look at both kindergarten readiness and also reading proficiency, it corresponds very closely with income. And of course, income, you know, corresponds a lot with race. And so, you know, there's two ways you can look at that. But bottom line, if you expect school to even the playing field and to, and to get kids caught up, regardless of, of, you know, what was happening in the first three years of their life, they're, they're not doing it. You know, schools with high poverty rates still have low reading scores. So you spent all this time working on these stories, getting all these insights. What can we expect from your big report? What should we be looking for? What what? Give us a little tease. I mean, we have some videos with educators and, and one student who was nice enough to go on video just articulating what the problem is and, and what some of the solutions might be. I think after the story, and some things have already happened in the court during the time I was working on this story, um, the school district is moving towards having this audit. Um, one thing I want to say about leadership in the school district, at first they were a little bit defensive of me doing this because they said, well, why are you just picking on Hillsborough? You know, this problem is, is, exists everywhere, which it does in all fairness. But 
they recognize it as a problem, um, and I'm talking about the superintendent and the chief academic officer. They recognize it as a problem. They recognize it as a problem that they want to solve. Even though it's a universal problem, they, they are okay with Hillsborough saying, we have a problem and we want to address it. So, so what I'm hoping, and this is, you know, past the story, is that if they commission this audit, that maybe it will get to the bottom of some of these questions for, you know, is there too much phonics? Is there not enough phonics? Are K1 and 2 class sizes too big to be effective? So, you know, I'm less excited about the story and more excited about hopefully some research that's going to follow it and some steps that will be taken. I, I also think everybody who I talk to agrees this cannot be something that's just the school's problem. If it stays within the schools, it's never going to get anywhere. Um, this is something parents, community, society, we have to be a society that embraces books and reading and, and treats books like they are special and, and um, being utopian here. But young people have to voluntarily want to sit down and read a book. But that, that's got to so, start somehow. That's got to start somehow in school, too. I mean, sure, there are lots of parents who, like, read, you know, one fish, two fish to their unborn baby inside the mommy's belly, right? And then they keep reading from that day forward. But there are others that don't. And schools are, like, filled with books, or supposed to be, and teachers who have kids in front of them for hours upon hours every day. I mean, there's got to be some love given to books in schools, too, right? Yeah, and, and one of the things that's happened over the years, media centers used to be called libraries, now they're media centers, and you go into some of them and you see almost no books. I, I think I think school leaders and schools over the last decade or so became so enamored with technology and with Myon and iReady and, and all of these digital platforms that I, I think books books lost their specialness, for lack of a better word. And the media centers, because they had to give these computer-based high-stakes tests somewhere, became testing centers. One of the photographs, I don't know if it made the final cut or not, but at Memorial, High, Memorial Middle School, you, you see the books on the shelves, but you see banks and banks and banks of testing computers. So you know, books were a little bit de-emphasized. Also in popular culture, um, you hear kids who, you know, their mother says, oh, you're going on a long bus ride. Why don't you take a book? And they roll their eyes and it's like, mom, what do you want me to get beat up? You know, what do you mean take a book? And kids who like books, I've had kids who like books who apologize and they say, yeah, I'm this weird kid. I like books. So I think that, I know I'm not answering your question. Yeah, there's a lot that the schools have to do. I firmly believe it's the school's responsibility, not the parents' responsibility. However, the flip side of that is that parents need to be aware that there are things that they can do that will help their children become a better reader. And if they do not do these things, you cannot take it for granted that your children will be a strong reader. And some of these are simple things like like if a child sees their parent reading, you know, not reading to them, but just reading. If, if even one of the parents reads on a regular basis, the children pick that up. You know, it's like not smoking or it's like exercising. So there are things that, that the community at large, things that parents can do 
to encourage their children to become readers. And it, it can't just be inside the schools. I would love to see the schools reaching out outside the school walls to the community at large. Um, I've talked to them about a public awareness campaign that would be based around the phrase, what are you reading? And I've actually talked to the chief of schools about this and he likes it. I don't know if it's ever going to happen, but this needs to be community-wide. The next mayor of Tampa, I'm hoping, will get on board with it. Billboards, TV spots, you know, you've got to do things to, to make reading and books fashionable again. So at the end of the day, you are actually looking at something that's about education and not some sort of scandal and not some sort of politics. And that's really awesome. <laughs> I have to just sort I just think, yeah, I, I'm sorry I interrupted here, but I, okay, here's, I mean, this is true story and here's how I became so obsessed with it. Booker T. Washington Elementary School had a very bad year and it's mentioned in the story, 2017, um, only three of the fifth graders could read on grade level. And I met a bunch of these fifth graders on the last day of school. I was invited out there to cover an event and I got to know them and we sat and we talked about their hopes and dreams and where they're going to go to middle school. And when the scores came out and I saw that only three in the entire fifth grade class could read on grade level, it, I realized that, that, that reading issues and reading deficiencies, if you want to call it that, were really being normalized. Nobody cared about it. It didn't make headlines. And yeah, I want to make a little noise about reading and people should care about it. People should care about whether their children read. Well, you said earlier on that you're not so excited about the story because you've been living it for so long. You're looking forward to the next steps. We are looking forward to reading the story. And thank you for sharing your insights on it. Now we can all Wait for it. It comes out when? Uh, Sunday in print and any minute now online. I hope it's not a big disappointment. You've built it up too much. But I also hope I can come back and that there will be more to report on reading and more to report on things that are happening to, to, to make reading better. That's the end of our conversation and the end of our podcast. If you'd like to chime in about reading, Go to our Facebook page, Tampa Bay Times Gradebook, where you can find the post of this podcast and you can write your thoughts. We'd love to hear what you have to say. For the latest in education breaking news, go to our blog, www.tampabay/gradebook. Please continue to send your ideas and thoughts for the podcast to us and review this if you'd like on iTunes. That would be great. We'd love to hear your thoughts there too. Anything you can do to help us get the word out so more and more people can hear what we have to say. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek. Thanks again for listening.